0: Who knows what tomorrow will bring Maybe sunshine and maybe rain But as for me, I'll wait and see And maybe it'll bring my love to me
1: This is Rumble with Michael Moore. I'm Michael Moore. Welcome, everyone. For the past two months, we've uh, been living in an explosive news cycle every day, every week. And what do we all say to ourselves? It can't get any worse, right? How bad can this be? And yet the next day, it's worse. Just think about just the last six to eight weeks. Started back with the leak from the Supreme Court where we learned that they were going to get rid of Roe v. Wade to all the sad and tragic mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, Tulsa. According to one site, there's been 124 mass shootings just in May and June. Our Supreme Court or our Supreme Religious Rulers have been delivering edict after edict after edict. People that want guns now get to have more of them, and they have more rights than women who don't have guns. They just have a reproductive system that now the court is going to control. The January 6th hearings have become incredible. The witnesses, the testimony, and the, and the belief maybe, maybe, just maybe, orange may be the new Trump. The EPA ruling this week, Unbelievable. It's, it's so overwhelming, right? And how many of us have said, that's it, I can't watch the news anymore? And each of us have things that we're just you know personally concerned about that we're trying to deal with. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all this overwhelming news, story after story after story, event after event, each of them historic and very important, all of them rightfully capturing our rapt attention, And yet, and yet, and here's the loser in all this. Things have happened during this time, really important stories that never made the news because there were so many of these other things that were so overwhelming. And I would start to hear about things that, and I go, what, that happened? When did that happen? Have you done the same thing? And it's like, holy smokes in any other day and age would be the top story of the day of the week and now it's not even mentioned and i thought well i have a podcast i can mention it i can start to cover some of the uncovered stories i can put it out there to you things that you may not have heard of but i think you would agree with me that are very very important so here on this episode today of rumble i want to cover some things that have happened in the past that you may not have heard of. Some of it's good news, some of it's tragic. Uh, But I am dedicated to and committed to making sure that these stories are not overlooked, are not lost, and that we talk about them. We give them life, even if just for a few minutes, so that you and others can tell others about this, and so that we can encourage action, if needed, to happen. So, the first story I want to share with you is actually one that's cause for celebration. A beam of good news, my friends, in this dark era that we find ourselves in. A couple of weeks ago, on Saturday, June 15th, in a parking garage in Towson, Maryland, it's a little suburb right outside of Baltimore, cheers erupted loud cheers from a parking garage. What was going on? Well, The store workers at the Towson Town Center Apple Store had gathered together, waiting the count by federal officials of the employees of the Apple Store to find out whether or not they were going to be able to have a union. And the count came in 65 to 33, two-thirds of the employees at the Apple Store just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, became the first unionized Apple Store, and the first Apple union was born. Thus the cheers. And, you know, this is really, as you know, I hope you know, we've done a couple of podcasts on it. This has been a massive uprising here this winter, spring, and now summer amongst American workers. Workers have been advocating for better working conditions and leading a wave of unionizing efforts across the country. I mean, it's really a revolution, my friends. And it's so encouraging to see because it is being led mostly by young people, workers in their 20s and 30s, a lot of them college graduates who graduated from college and there were no jobs. So they had to go to work at the Apple store or any of a number of places struggling to pay the rent, struggling to pay off the student loans all the while during the pandemic, while we learned that the rich didn't suffer, they got richer and the middle class and the working class. (laughs) Well, the middle class, I don't even want to use that term anymore. In Many places it's just become a fairy tale. That's, fondly remembered by our parents and grandparents. And that's not right. But the good news is, is that this revolt for thousands of workers has paid off back in January here on rumble. I, I uh, celebrated along with union organizers, Jaz uh, jazz and and Casey Moore on their creation of the Starbucks workers United Starbucks first union and their first union victory in Buffalo, New York. Since that podcast, Back in January, since their victory, over 100 additional Starbucks locations have unionized. This is amazing. And it's not just limited to coffee baristas. This union effort is happening with grad student workers at college campuses, uh, museum employees, Amazon, REI, the New York Times digital site. The list goes on and on and on. Union effort after union effort after union effort. Back in June, a CNBC poll said that, quote, 59% of workers across the United States and across all sectors say that they support increased unionization in their workplace. Almost 60%. And and how about, listen to this statistic, 46% of Republicans who are on the job when polled say they support increased unionization at their workplace. Of course they do, because... If you were raised in a union family like I was, well, you know what that meant in terms of the income your parents had, the health care that you grew up with, all these benefits. You actually got to take a vacation. Well, today on this podcast, I want to celebrate the historic victory of the Coalition of Organized Retail Employees which stands for CORE or otherwise known as Apple CORE. This is Apple's first union. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a quick call here to two of the organizers there in Baltimore, Maryland, Kevin Gallagher and Graham DeYoung. Both of them are members of the organizing committee. Let's get them on the the podcast right now and uh, give them uh, some uh, congratulations. See how they did it. Okay. Kevin and Graham, this is Michael Moore. How are you?
2: Great. Thanks for having us on. We're doing well.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. So the Apple stores, that's a tough nut to crack there. How did you do it? What's the secret sauce? Why Towson, Maryland?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's been our message that if if we can do it, anyone can do it.
1: What was the spark? Sometimes it's just one person. Something happened here.
2: For a lot of people, one of the big inciting moments was this event, Battery Gate. Grant, do you want to talk about Battery Gate?
1: I almost
3: had a battery tattooed on my arm because of it. <laughs> what sparked Battery Gate was nightly news that ran a story a saying that Apple admits that they're slowing their devices down, and you get a free battery if you go to any Apple store. Well, it it was killing our teams. You have a hundred people waiting there. The customers were angry, not just disappointed. Because they felt misled,
1: anger at you, the employees or
3: yeah oh, yeah, it's pretty emotional. It puts a you know two and a half three trillion dollar company on your back and kind of forces you to be the face, right, not having any support. right. I'll tell you like what
2: really grew out of it wasn't just that acknowledgement of the situation, but it was like who we can rely on in order to get through the day. We weren't getting anything from the company that was helping us. We weren't getting extra resources. We weren't getting more manpower. We weren't getting, you know, more hours. All we had was the person next to us. We realized that we're the ones who are best equipped to answer the the problems that we have. And we're the ones who have the most empathy for the person next to us. It was clear that there was a, you know, a lack of empathy at that time for, you know, the people who are the face of Apple. And I think that the, the pandemic definitely... Amplified that even more, and that feeling grew even more to a point where, you know, people just couldn't take it anymore. They weren't going to stand for it.
1: And then what happened?
2: It started off from there a conversation. My colleague Billy approached me and said, Hey, we've got this friend who just organized their yoga studio. This might be a good path for us with, you know, everything going on. And I said, "Yeah, let's do it." And uh, we sat down at a coffee shop and we hashed it out with an organizer.
1: Now, people listening to this, they're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, or they're in Jackson, Mississippi, or whatever. Yeah, right away they're thinking, "Okay, where'd you go? where'd you find that organizer? Who do I call?"
2: Well, we talked to the organizer that we knew from uh, his relationship with that yoga teacher.
1: Oh, it always goes back to the yoga teacher, then.
2: <laughs> yeah, Apple can blame yoga for uh, our store organizing. You know, uh, I would say. Grab a friend, a coworker, a colleague that agrees with you, and then you know do your research. I mean, we picked a big tent union um, that kind of really fit a lot of different people. You know, architects, yoga teachers, librarians. But there might be a, a union that has kind of the, the the niche set of expertise that might fit your workplace. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, what's important is that you just find someone who is there for you and not there for the profits. And uh, I think pretty much any organization uh, will fit that bill.
1: And if you call the Machinist Union, they have full-time people there who are organizers. Yeah. They're actually waiting for your call.
2: Yeah. They're incredible. Our organizer, uh, David, just an incredibly knowledgeable person, and was able to help us navigate this really complex field. You know, it had never been done before. And it was new for him and it was new for us. But we knew that it was worth the fight. A couple months later, actually almost exactly a year later, or the first organized store.
1: Wow. And th- there was a vote. Uh, you had to get the cards signed. Was that difficult? Yeah. Convincing people to sign the cards? Because people were very nervous about it. They don't want to lose their job. They don't want to get in trouble.
3: Kevin was actually the person that approached me. I think he'd tell you at first I was kind of resistant to it.
2: Yeah. There's so much in the media that has conditioned people to be afraid of it. I mean, there's an episode of The Office where people are talking about like the union coming in and closing things down. That's been baked into the media experience for the last, you know, 50, 70 years. Yeah.
3: And, you know, it's not just media. It's big companies. There's kind of a concept of, you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds you and that puts a lot of subconscious pressure on people. And I think that if we had some issues or difficulties convincing people to join, um, a lot of that had to do with fear, really fear of the unknown. It really goes to kind of show how scared and or sometimes desperate people are to make sure they have good work. I think we can do a good job of of showing people that it's not something to be scared of and it's not something to, you know, to worry about, but it's something to learn about. Um,
2: Yeah, I think we took it slow and steady and very positive we weren't talking ill about the company. This isn't about our management team. This isn't about our leadership. I think that a lot of our leaders are phenomenal and they're doing the best with the cards that they've been dealt. Um, but, you know, I think maybe we're just playing the wrong, wrong game, you know? Uh, I think that with a different system, with a system that uh, values people over profits and um, values sustainability over infinite growth, you end up in a situation that has more empathy for the workers and really a better experience for the people who come into the store. Every single worker in the country would benefit from an organized workplace, for sure.
1: Absolutely. And what better time than right right now? I'm just very inspired by this story. So this vote was uh, just a little over two weeks ago. Two-thirds voted for the union.
2: Yeah. Sixty-five to thirty-three.
1: Sixty-five to thirty-three. Wow! So now the next step is uh, negotiating a contract. How do you think that's going to go?
2: We're hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. You know,
3: we're expecting the worst. <laughs> uh, not to cut you off, Kevin. Um, cautiously optimistic is an understatement.
2: I would agree with that. You know, earlier you asked why Towson, and I think that we're a really resilient bunch. You know, we've been through. Um, a pandemic, we've been through battery gate, we've been through all these things. And it feels like we can kind of handle anything that they throw at us at this point. Yeah, we would love and we, we really encourage the board of directors to ask the company to really live up to the expectations that they set for themselves and the expectations that they set for their suppliers and ask the company to to really come to the table in good faith.
3: Yeah, they've got a huge chance to innovate here. Huge chance to innovate just in the retail sector. Right. Yeah. Why wouldn't you choose to do that? Why fight it? It's already here if you are at the forefront of technology, innovation, and inclusion, and, you know, diversity, wouldn't you want a diverse workforce that way? Wouldn't you want there to be options for people if they didn't feel like yours, uh, your design was the right thing? Yeah, do the right thing. Yeah.
2: I do genuinely believe all of our leadership are are good people. And to be honest, the, the system that they operate in, you know, a publicly traded company puts on legal responsibilities for them to take actions like this. You know, they are required by law to um, do anything they can to make sure that they're protecting the shareholders profits. And so number one, right? um, Yeah. And so they have that responsibility. responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and we, we would love to take that responsibility off their hands. You know, organizing allows them, it gives them the, the kind of legal out to be able to, like, really do what they want to do and take care of their people and, you know, be able to, you know, say, oh, well, what can we do about it? The the union, you know, has to have their way, you know, we're legally required to, to give them what they want, you know, and, you know, I, I think that if, you know, we go about it in that way and we are there to help each other, I think that the shareholders will still get their money. Apple will still make (laughs) they'll still make ninety billion dollars in profits in a quarter.
1: That's right. No, no, no. They'll get their money and in fact, probably even more so because when you have a workforce whose morale is up and who enjoys coming to work and who knows that they're getting a, a great wage and benefits, it's a better situation to create a good workplace environment. And the union helps do that. And I think that they are smart enough. And I think we live in the 21st century those companies that we've had, you know, the Starbucks people on before and all this. And man, they're acting, the the corporate's acting like it's, you know, somewhere back in the 1920s. You know, this is like, no, we're in a different time now. And Apple will be much appreciated for saying to the workers, you know, we're glad you have an advocate. You should have an advocate and and we're all going to be the better because of it. Anyways, I I know we've gone on too long here, but I just, I really want to thank you for this. Last words, to people who are listening to this still chomping at the bit how can i get a union going how did they do this in town where the hell is Towson, in maryland how <laughs> did they how did they do this last words of advice
3: in the end um it was about talking to my friends about something that, you know, we had never talked about. And it's it's not on, like an overnight thing. One of the things that I was kind of so surprised about was just kind of how many different angles we had to come at people with and different thoughts and different ideas. And so I guess to sum it up, it's just, you know, don't be discouraged. Uh, be patient. Know that you've got people with you that are, are with you uh, and that will be there for you. Just know that you can do it. And it's not like a you can do it because we did it. Thing it's a you should do it, and if you need help, you know you can reach out to the machinists. You can reach out to Apple Core Union. You, uh, you can reach out to us.
1: How do they get a hold of you at Apple Core? How do they get a hold of you
3: at A Core Union? A Core
2: Union on Twitter and Instagram. Reach out. We love to talk. We have so many people from around the country that are already reaching out to us.
1: So it's A Core. That's A C O R E Union. A Core at A Core Union.
2: Yes, that's it. I have people who are in my Twitter and Instagram DMs every day asking me how they can bring the fight to their store. Like Graham said, it, not only can you do it, you should do it. And
1: don't do it alone. You're not alone. So don't do it alone.
2: You're not alone. Yeah.
1: Right. Thank you for this. It's much appreciated. By the way, in your negotiations, just I want to throw in a little personal request. Yeah. Um, if you can get them to agree that there should be only one charge cord for all devices. <laughs> and, and, when they, and when there's a new version of the phone, there's not a new cord. Just I one think cord. the
2: European Union is already negotiating that for
1: us. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm glad that we've been able to tell people something important that has happened during these couple months when we've been focused on so many serious, sad, tragic issues, that something great happened 15 miles outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and it will have repercussions, I'm convinced. Uh, throughout the country in all sorts of workplaces. And the people in your generation are going to make this happen. We're going to have a whole new union movement. So thank you for being two of the leaders of that movement. Thanks
2: for giving us a voice. Yeah, thanks. It was an honor.
1: That was just great listening to their enthusiasm. I hope it's contagious to those of you who are listening to this podcast today. Before I turn the spotlight to the next story that I'm certain many of you have not heard of, I'd like to take a moment to thank our first underwriter of this week's episode of Rumble. This podcast, uh, this episode is being sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't have to tell you, my friends, that uh, life during these times has been overwhelming and stressful. And because this isn't a country where our mental health is covered by our employer insurance or by the government or, or whatever. Instead, we here in America are too often just burned out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself and your mental well-being. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so that you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And you, those of you who are Rumble listeners, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rumble. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash rumble for 10% off your first month. It's worth it, my friends. And thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this podcast, supporting my voice and helping to contribute to better mental health throughout this country. So the second story I'd like to get into on this podcast today, another story that you may have missed, and I don't want you to miss it. On the morning of Wednesday, May 11th, while we were all sleeping here in the United States of America, over in the Middle East, halfway around the world, in the West Bank, in Occupied Palestine, an American journalist who is of Palestinian descent, Shireen Abu Akhla, was brutally murdered by an Israeli sniper. She was standing in a small crowd of fellow journalists, away from any conflict, wearing the standard uniform that journalists wear over there to identify themselves, a blue flak jacket, and a bulletproof helmet clearly marked press. And in that moment of just standing there talking to her fellow journalist, an Israeli soldier shot her in the back of her neck in that small space between her helmet and the top of her, her flak jacket, a precision shot. One of her colleagues was also shot in the shoulder during the attack An heroic citizen tried to retrieve her body. And that person was shot at too, <sighs> two days later, Israeli forces then at her funeral procession kicked and beat mourners with batons and not just mourners, the pallbearers carrying the casket and the casket starts to fall. The pallbearers start to fall and they almost dropped and spilled the casket open and, and a couple of them caught it just in time. It was, there's video of this. You can watch this. This is just absolutely horrific. Shireen was an American citizen, a Palestinian-American. And when news spread of this murder, people were outraged everywhere. Shireen was a prominent and respected journalist all around the world. For 25 years, she told stories about the occupation, about Israel's treatment of Palestinians, mostly on Al Jazeera, which, by the way, is a great news network. She was a beloved figure amongst the people in the Arab world, and especially in Palestine. In Palestine, I can, I can assure you she's known in every household. But this story of a, of a journalist, especially a Palestinian journalist, being slain by Israeli forces is not unique. It's not an anomaly. Since the year 2000, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Information, nearly 50 Palestinian journalists have been killed by Israeli forces. In just a few weeks after Shireen's execution, on June 1st, Israeli forces shot and killed 31-year-old Palestinian journalists while she was commuting to work. Her funeral procession was also attacked by Israeli police. Now, because Shireen was an American, many were hopeful that U.S. outrage would spark an unequivocal demand for an independent investigation into her death. And ultimately, we would see some form of justice. But yeah, just go ahead and cue the applause track because, of course, that's not going to happen. And it didn't happen. The U.S. State Department did condemn her killing, but they stopped short of calling for an independent investigation. And, of course, their spokesman there in the State Department assured reporters that the Israelis have the wherewithal and the capabilities to conduct a thorough and comprehensive investigation. Israel for its part, of course, did what it always does deny and deflect because after all, it was just another dead Arab, but this was a dead American. And so don't those of you who are listening to this, who are Americans, don't we have a responsibility to demand answers when, when one of our citizens is murdered by the Israeli defense force On June 24th, the U.N. released their findings of its inquiry, and it said that it was Israeli gunfire that killed Shireen Abu Akhla. President Biden has refused to call for an independent investigation into her killing. I have to tell you, this story has haunted me ever since I woke up to the news of it on May 11th. You know, either I know personally or I am extremely familiar with following the American and Palestinian American and Palestinian journalists in the West Bank and Gaza over the years. And I care very deeply about this subject. I have visited the West Bank and Gaza twice, and I have seen firsthand how the Palestinians are treated sort of apartheid situation that's going on over there. It's it's sad. It's wrong. And, you know, as I've said before on this podcast, to say that you support Israel, but you don't support the rights of Palestinians means you don't support Israel because you can't have one without the other. And you have no credibility or integrity when you say, oh, I, I support Israel. But to hell with the Palestinians. Well, then, then you're not to be believed because if, if you were to support Israel, well, then that means you support human life, period, regardless whose it is. And you don't support a so-called democracy that has essentially imprisoned a group of people simply because, because they're Arabs. I don't know. This whole thing has bothered me. And I've, I've, I've mentioned it to friends and, and people and said, did you, did you hear the story of this American journalist? Murdered by the Israelis uh, here back in May? No. And it was just a couple days after her her death that the Buffalo massacre took place. And of course, again, you see all the, obviously, and it should, all the news goes toward the horrific story of the day, which now it seems like there's one every day or every other day. And this got lost, and nobody talked about Shireen. And I can't believe that if somebody who gave her life 25 years of covering the oppression of a group of people. And then she's killed and nobody knows about it. Nobody talks about it. Our own American government doesn't do jack about one of its citizens that are killed by the people that we give billions to every year. I just, it's like, come on. Well, anyways, today I thought it'd be a good idea to have my friend Julia Baca Fellow documentary filmmaker on the podcast here to talk about Shireen and her own experiences of reporting from Jerusalem, the West Bank, and Gaza. Julia uh, is an extraordinary award-winning filmmaker. She's the creative director at Just Vision. Just Vision is a nonprofit that um, the most important thing it does is it fills a media gap that exists on the issue of Israel-Palestine, and they do it through independent storytelling and engagement. Can we get her on the on the line here and? Okay. Uh, Julia, are are you there? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, coming on my podcast.
4: Of course. It's a pleasure, Mike.
1: I want to talk about Shireen. So here we have an American citizen, a journalist, who is essentially assassinated by uh, the Israeli uh, Defense Force. And nothing has happened about this. You've had so many years of experience of dealing with this horror that exists there in Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, Palestine, etc. And I'm just curious what your thinking was when you first heard about her being shot and killed there.
4: I really appreciate, Mike, you bringing Shireen up. It was a huge shock, I think, to anyone who, as you mentioned, has worked in the region to hear that she was killed in the manner that she was killed there was a sense of horror that took over my body at that moment. If, if they can kill Shireen like that, then nobody is safe. Right. I have been hearing from my colleagues on the ground. You know, my Palestinian producer Rula Salame, who I've been working with for 15 years now. Uh, she. Has known Shireen since the beginning of Shireen's career. She gave her her first job at the Palestinian Broadcasting Corporation in the early 90s. And Rula and all of her colleagues are really scared that this is going to silence all of them because they are now so petrified that an Israeli soldier can aim his or her weapon, shoot on the neck, on Shireen's back, kill her with the cameras having been rolling just moments before with several of Shireen's colleagues, her journalists as eyewitnesses saying clearly what had happened. At this point we've had CNN, New York Times, Associated Press, Newspapers and, and you know television channels that are not known for digging deep when it comes to Israel and Palestine, saying that in all likelihood, Shireen was not only killed by an Israeli soldier, but she was targeted by an Israeli soldier. And yet the Biden administration dealing with an American journalist who was seemingly assassinated washes the hand and say, oh, we, are, we, we, we trust Israel to conduct an investigation. Meanwhile, Israel has already declared that it's not conducting a criminal investigation because there are only two options for what may have happened. Number one, she was killed by Palestinian militants. M- number two, if it happens that she was killed by an Israeli soldier, it was an accident because the Israeli soldiers must have been trying to kill Palestinian armed militants shooting at them. Right. And so for, for journalists on the ground, when they see that happening to Shireen, who is, the, as you mentioned, the most beloved, well-known, respected, has been doing this work for decades now, for this to happen to her blatantly and for nothing to happen, for the world to stay silent, for the American administration to do nothing, is terrifying. So this is a this is a tragedy, not only for the life of Shireen, but for the life of all journalists on the ground trying to cover the actions of the Israeli government.
1: She is, or was, an American citizen. Bottom line, what happened a few years ago with Khashoggi, with the Saudis, he was a, an American resident and worked for the Washington Post. That sent enough of a chill down people's spine for a while, at least, until that was essentially uh, forgotten and, and brushed aside. I don't want this to be brushed aside. I don't want this to be forgotten. I want an answer. I want to stand up for my fellow American, Shireen Abu Akhla. I want this to be investigated. I want answers. And I'm not the only one, but they're benefiting from the fact that our attention is so much on the horror that's been coming out of Washington, D.C. this last month or two, that we're not going to know about this. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to forget about it. I mean, you've been you know, not only a filmmaker, but also an important organizer on this issue for many, many years. What is it that people can do uh, and instead of just listening to you and I talk, get angry, and but then ultimately feel hopeless and helpless?
4: Yeah, I felt for a moment there, right after Shireen's killing, that something would be different this time. And as you mentioned, it's so hard to keep people's attention on any one particular matter these days, particularly one that that concerns a foreign country, because our own country requires so much caring right now. But one thing happened last week that rekindled my hope. And it was the fact that 24 senators signed an open letter calling on President Biden to ensure the direct involvement of the United States in the investigation of the killing of Shirin Abu And even though that seems small, in the reality of Washington, D.C. and, and, and how it relates to Israel, it's very significant. Um, AIPAC, which is one of the main lobbies for Israel in Washington, D.C., lobbied really hard against this letter, and, you know, f- from people that have experienced that type of lobbying, um, there's, you know, direct threats that opponents will be supported. APAC actually has been known to uh, now be supporting uh, Republicans who actually participated on January 6th, uh, meaning they're funding Republicans who supported the insurrection on January 6th. And, It's very important for these senators, these 24 senators who signed this letter to hear from their constituents saying that they support them there because they're going to get from the lobby a lot of attacks. Right. And it's really important for the senators who signed that letter, for the House of Representative members who signed the one on May 19, also calling for, in this case, calling for an FBI investigation on her killing. Um, The U.S. needs to be involved. I think that's you know, sort of galvanizing around a goal. I think is important when you're trying to create action. And in two weeks, President Biden is going to be visiting Israel. And on the statement by the the, the White House, um, it says that President Biden is coming to the region to reinforce the United States' iron clad commitment to Israel's security and prosperity. And, you know, there was a lot of criticism of Trump, the Trump's administration's approach to Israel and Palestine. And I think there was, you know, maybe a naive expectation that um, Biden would bring a little bit more of a human rights lens back to how it looks to the Middle East. But it hasn't. And it won't do it unless Americans show that they want the administration to do it and that they care enough. Right. And so I would start by, you know, asking your senator, uh, your representative, to join these letters that were sent. I think the more pressure that there is in the run-up to this trip for making it clear that people are waiting to see if Biden is going to bring this up and how he's going to bring it up, I think that is one thing that people can do.
1: He has to do this. I mean... <sighs> boy, if our own president can't stand up for a fellow American who has been killed, a journalist who has been killed, not by accident, it appears to be a direct decision to point a gun at her and shoot her. I mean, what are we if we just let that go by where nothing is said? I will, I, let me say this too. I, I will post on my podcast platform page here a link to these uh, two letters uh, signed by the 24 senators. And I don't know how many House members uh, signed the, their, that letter. Uh, and get behind them and, and support them. And I you know I know this just here in, in, in Michigan, in uh, the Detroit area, we have a, a very progressive member of Congress, uh, Andy Levin, who does not uh, vote carte blanche for Israel. He's Jewish, Jewish congressman. But he votes in favor and in, in support of Palestinian rights. And APAC has singled him out and they're dumping a ton of money on Detroit TV to make sure that he doesn't win the the Michigan primary. So I know, I've, I've, I've seen this firsthand.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: My first trips to the occupied territories back in the 80s, Israeli soldiers firing, at that time, rubber bullets at me and others who had gathered in the West Bank. And, and we were there as journalists. We were covering what was going on, and they didn't care that we were journalists. They have a bullet whiz by your face, like an inch or two away is a frightening experience to say the least. And then to see people actually harmed, even with rubber bullets, killed. Well, you don't forget it. Let me, you know, And you know what I'm talking about because you've been there and you've risked your life to bring us these truths. And, uh, and to all the other Palestinians and Israelis who have taken that same risk, I have such admiration and I honor all of you uh, who do this. And tonight, at least as we are speaking here on this episode, I do it in the name of of Shireen. I want to see the killing stopped, and I want to see the oppression ended. I appreciate you coming on and talking about this.
4: I appreciate you so much, Michael. Thank you for for not letting the story die.
1: I don't know what else to do. I can't. can't, uh, You know, look, we all have a conscience, and we have to follow that. And, uh, you know, most people are good at their core. And when they see injustice, they don't like it. They don't like it. And I'm counting on that in the, in both in Shireen's case and all the incredible issues that you continue to cover. So thank you um, for that. And my appreciation to Shireen's family, her American family, her Palestinian family. And um, let's make sure that we all carry on, uh, that work and let's make sure there's justice when it comes, uh, to her death. Wow. So my friends, uh, before I introduce the last forgotten story that has taken place in these last uh, few months, I'd like to thank uh, our other underwriter for today's episode. And that is Shopify. I am so grateful to Shopify for their continued support of rumble and of my voice Now, if you've listened to other episodes of mine here, you've most likely heard me talk about Shopify because they're an all-in-one platform that has helped me launch our own store right here, our own online store, The More Store an idea that we had uh, during the covid lockdowns hey why don't we why don't we sell some uh, some of my ball caps and hoodies and coffee mugs and we can use it to raise money for issues i care about so a portion of all the proceeds from the the more store goes to fight voter suppression and to help bring civics classes back into our public schools the reason i was able to do that is because this entity known as shopify was able to bring this idea of mine to life Shopify makes the tools and the resources once reserved only for the big guys, where a small business or a nonprofit could never really do this before. And now they can. They can start their own online store. But, you know, this is more than talking about just a store. Shopify is going to help you, help you grow your little business or your nonprofit. That's why millions of people around the world are already using it. So if you got an idea for a store that you're looking to bring to life uh, to support your family or raise money for your school or a nonprofit, go to shopify.com slash rumble and make sure rumble is in all lowercase and you could get a free 14 day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash all lowercase now rumble right now. Shopify.com slash rumble. Well, finally, our last story that's been overlooked by uh, the media took place at the beginning of this past week. And there's been no big stories on this, no national news, maybe a blip here and there. And um, I'm not blaming news editors. They only have so much space and time. But it's wrong that you and I don't know about these things. And we're going to have to figure out a better way to do media or something, have it more in the hands of the people, the communities, local. There's just something wrong now. When so many stories like this get missed, the first Apple store ever becomes unionized, nobody knows. An American journalist is murdered by Israeli defense force, nobody knows. And now the story this week, which cuts close to me, it's personal. It happened this past week in my home state of Michigan on Tuesday, the day of Cassidy Hutchinson's incredible testimony there in front of Congress. On that day, that same day, in the same moment, this is why you didn't hear about it, the Michigan Supreme Court threw out the criminal charges against former Republican Governor Rick Snyder and the others, his cronies, in the Flint water poisoning. It was a six to nothing unanimous vote. The court ruled that the state laws do not authorize a judge to issue indictments a a one-judge grand jury had been impaneled to issue an indictment against the governor and his cronies if that judge decided that's what should happen. And the judge did decide that this governor should, they should be brought up on criminal charges. It's now been overruled unanimously by the Michigan Supreme Court. And the governor right now, at least for now, is off scot-free. Unbelievable. Do you realize that this poisoning and that once he and his people knew about this they did nothing about it that this is an 8 year old poisoning scandal and i thought nobody know nobody's talking about this this week once again flint is going to be forgotten i thought well i have a podcast and so this is the third third and final story and as you can guess there's probably so many more that we don't even have time to get into but i want to talk i want you to know what happened in my hometown this week And what happened to the people there? And I'm I'm reaching out right now. We're getting them on the line here. Uh, Two of my good friends who have led the movement against uh, the governor. And now the former governor of Michigan. And and here we go. We're ready. Okay. So uh, I want to introduce you to two of the main organizers for the past eight years in Flint, Michigan. Fighting the powers that be uh, from Lansing to Washington. They are heroes. Uh, Please welcome from Flint, Michigan, Melissa Mays and Naira Sharif. Melissa uh, Naira, how are you?
5: Frustrated. I, it was just
1: such a shock. Explain to the listeners what happened this week, what we did not see in the national news because we were consumed with the mass removal of, of rights of women in this country. This poisoning has been going on for over eight years. And and I was just, I was just stunned to get, I get a call from somebody to say that the governor, is not going to be held accountable in a court of law regarding this. Either one of you, whoever wants to take this first law, just tell me, tell the people what's going on.
5: Well, it's been three years since the first punch in the gut when um, a new attorney general was voted in and decided to throw away all of the cases, some of which were actually going to be bound over for trial for manslaughter. So that was progress. Um, and then, okay, we... just so people
1: know that Melissa is is being sarcastic. <laughs> our, <laughs> yeah. our new our, our new attorney general three years ago was a Democrat. Yeah, and came in, and that was the the first shockeroo that this democrat throughout this throughout the all the work that had been done by the previous republican attorney general frankly uh and all the all the investigation and whatever uh to show what had happened and then it just got it it got bounced so here we now here we are 3 years later what happened this week
5: so this week we find out that this new team that the new attorney general had appointed um through a lot of missteps, there have been a lot of mistakes, had gone to get the indictment from a one-man jury, you know, instead of an open grand jury, right? So it was one man, it was a judge who made the decision to agree to indict these folks who were guilty of, in our eyes at least, uh, guilty of poisoning us and then covering it up as people died. Uh, So yeah, basically the indictments got tossed, everything's going back to, you know, scratch, but what's messed up is that You know, one-man grand juries are used all of the time in Genesee County, usually against poor folks, young black men. There was no issue with that. But for some reason, um, the Michigan Supreme Court decided that it was not acceptable for rich white government folk. And it's been just a disaster and a train wreck and, you know, just traumatizing for residents over and over and over again. Because
1: they've all gotten away with it. Yeah. They've all gotten away with it. Nayara, I'm still stunned by this. After all these years that the... These people will not have to pay the price for what they did to poisoning the people, especially the children of Flint. What happened here?
6: Well, I mean, like looking at the opinion, everybody on the Supreme Court voted to avoid the indictments, every single one. And it really feels like a kick in the teeth.
1: Just so people understand, too, the Michigan Supreme Court, they're elected uh, in the state of Michigan. And they have to get nominated by either the Democrats or Republicans. The majority of the Michigan Supreme Court now are judges who were nominated by the Democratic Party.
5: Yeah. And once again, we're back to, you know, we had hopes. Dana Nessel, she actually, you know, campaigned on justice for Flint. We're like, okay, let's go. Let's see this. And
1: why did she mess this up?
5: She appointed us a solicitor general that had never never spearheaded a uh, criminal case to trial. And so we're just sitting here going, what are you doing and why are you messing up? This is important to us. Why is it not important to anybody else to do this right? And not cut corners. And at the end of the day, you know, even with the the you know, the unfair decision by uh, the Supreme Court to allow poor folks and people of color to go through this one man jury, but not Governor Snyder and his cronies, um, even toss that aside, it wouldn't even have been necessary had Dana Nessel and her team not dismissed all of the charges three years ago. We could have been having trials by now, people being held accountable. We could have seen people behind bars for poisoning a hundred thousand people. And again, right now, you know, hearing Dana Nessel's talk about, you know, protecting the reproductive rights of Michiganders, what about the Flint mothers who lost the pregnancies, who can't get pregnant now, or the young women that can't make the decision, won't make the decision to get pregnant because they don't know if their eggs are viable, if they're poisoned or not, because nobody can give us those answers. What about their reproductive rights, you know? So it's just a lot of hypocrisy back and forth. and, um, And yeah, like, who are we supposed to trust?
1: What's going to happen now? I see that there's a civil case against the governor. In fact, he had to take the stand just a day or two after the Supreme Court decision this week. In the civil case, he had to take the stand. And the first thing he, he says is, I, I, I need to plead the Fifth Amendment. Unbelievable. And he, and he wouldn't answer a single question. He just kept saying, I take the Fifth.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's super wild. Like, it really feels like there's this illusion of justice. And, you know, people, and we've talked to, like, Flint residents all over the city. We've gone door to door. And, you know, for some people, like, accountability and justice looks like someone being convicted and going to jail. And now, like, just personally, I'm like, is this what power does? Like, you can keep on kicking the can, you know, down the road. And, like, are people just going to continue to just protect themselves? And knowing that, you know, Flint residents, a bunch of Flint residents have, like, health issues, including myself. It's like, are we still going to be alive before these convictions are handed down or until somebody actually is convicted? Like, we don't know. It's a lot of uncertainty out in the community.
1: What is the situation now with people like yourself and others in Flint in terms of the illnesses that you've had to suffer through? And you know, I run into people around the country and they're like, oh, I'm so glad that things are better in Flint. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, they, they got all the new pipes. I said, you don't even know half the story here. I mean, just if, just take a second and just tell people um, what the situation actually is today in Flint, Michigan.
6: There's like a bunch of different crises. We had the democracy crisis with the imposition of the emergency manager law. And then we had the austerity, the, the other form of the austerity crisis, which is the le- lack of infrastructure investment. And then we have this ongoing public health crisis that continues today as people are dealing with the aftermath of of drinking the Flint water in a bunch of different ways. You know, me personally, myself, I now have non-epileptic seizures. After one of my seizures, like my vocal cords are par- partially paralyzed. So even though I can speak, like I'm in a different pitch that I used to have.
1: Well, yeah, no, I know you don't sound like yourself.
6: Yeah, and you know, like I can't yell anymore. And just by breathing the different chemicals, because it was always more than a lead and water crisis, my asthma, which was very mild in 2014, I like could still like run and and bike and exercise and be fully active. and And now like I'm winded just climbing like a set of stairs. I'm on oral steroids. You know, like we have kids who Are in special education now. Your test scores, the standardized tests are in the toilet. And I don't know if Melissa mentioned that Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is starting a Get the Let Out caucus in Congress. And we did a tour in Flint. You know, we saw people like lining up for hours to try to get water at a distribution site on the north side of Flint. In the ways that matter, like nothing's changed for Flint residents. People are still. Not drinking the water out the tap, unfiltered. They're still purchasing water. You know, they're still being very careful.
1: Internal plumbing in people's homes has not been replaced. The appliances, the washing machines, dishwashers, all that, still corroded. Still uh, with all the stuff that came through from the the pipeline and. And I tell people, too, that this is not just a lead. So a lot of these cities just do have old pipes and they have a lead problem. This was purposely done to the people of Flint who had clean drinking water. And, and in order the governor and his cronies uh, to help his cronies to make some money, they, uh, they came up with this uh, new plan to build a new pipeline. And in the meantime, uh, take people off the clean water pipeline that Detroit and other cities of Michigan use and, and have them drink from the Flint River. And, and now we have thousands of kids, these many years later, have permanent brain damage, permanent. It's not going to be better. I mean, we've all talked about this on this podcast now for, you know, quite some time. And the fact that we are still talking about it is disgusting to me. Melissa, what can we do? What can people do who are listening to this? Somebody's listening to this, you know, in, in uh, Idaho and they want to help or they want to do something. They just feel helpless. Listen, Mike, there goes Mike again, talking about the Flint water situation. And, you know, I never, you, I never refer to it as the Flint water crisis. This was purposely done. This was purposely done by people who had a lot of money who were trying to make more money and didn't give a damn about the, the, the people in in a town uh, that didn't have money with people full of people who didn't have money and full of people who, you know, uh, were also, you know, Uh, people of color. And the, the, it's just, it's, I just, you know, I'm fumbling around here because I'm at the, I'm at the point where I want to break some glass and I'm I'm a nonviolent person. I'm not going to, you know, but I'm just like, I'm more, I'm, I, I, uh, Melissa just give it to us straight here.
5: Well, to give you some more reasons to break glass in August, these same folks, the state of Michigan and you know people in the city of Flint, the EPA allowed it, um, the same folks that uh, switched our water in 2014 started last August blending our water with that other pipeline so that way we could pay the bill for that other pipeline and ours. There's no laws that prevent blending. And so it was a complete experiment. And what it did, all of the, the progress that had been made by replacing service lines, and you're right, that is only one piece because the distribution mains in the street that connect to the service lines, that connect to the house, and all of our interior plumbing, uh, all of that was destroyed and rupturing into the streets and everything like that. Still, still, uh, my kitchen, my bathroom, we've had to gut them to the studs because we had water leaks in the walls behind the appliances and everything's been ruined this whole time during covid and most of us you know i got hit twice with covid very hard and got lung and heart scarring we've got you know a ton of stuff a ton of problems going on but we still push forward and then in the middle of all this we have them blending our water which all the water tests show that it's now leaching more lead and bacteria and other contaminants from our interior plumbing and all of the, you know, coating that's supposed to be done to these new pipes that are put in are being ripped away because they decided to blend, so we could pay two, basically, two water bills and pay for two systems where no one else in the country does this. Like, this, like what's happening again? They're using Flint as guinea pigs because
1: they can get away. They know they can get away with it.
5: Yep, because they just assume that we're either too sick or dying or just don't care or we're tired. And believe me, after 2,989 days, we are tired of fighting. We are tired of this. We're sick. Um, I just spent a week in the hospital. Like, we got one thing going on after another health-wise. But, you know, at Flint Rising, one of the things that we've also had to do is my lawsuit for the Safe Drinking Water Act lawsuit to replace the lead and galvanized steel service lines. One little piece of the puzzle, because it's all that the law covers at this point is just those service lines fighting. We've been fighting since 2015 to get the city and state, and we won in 2017 to get them to replace all these service lines. Well, the city and state decided to stop doing the work in 2020, blamed it on COVID, and still aren't actually up to the work because they'd rather do other projects like connect us to the KWA, that other pipeline you were talking about, which of course we didn't want, and we rallied against it, and they did it anyways, much like you know the Supreme Court of the United States and the Supreme Court of Michigan. They don't care what we are. They're going to make these decisions based on what they want, not on what's best for the people. Right. So now we're dealing with more disgusting water that we're being experimented with that changes on a daily basis. It's ruining all of the things that we put back in our house and these new service lines, and it's still going on. And Flint Rising, we just received a um, a list with over fourteen hundred addresses for homes that the city and state didn't even bother reaching out to. So now our, you know, sick selves, you know, got to continue pushing forward. And, you know, now we're sitting here like we got to try to hire folks because, you know, so yeah, if people want to donate to Flint Rising, that'd be great because we can hire more Flint folks to knock on these doors, to make sure, to do what we used to do and make sure everybody was okay. Because right now there are so many people getting left out and it's disgusting because they did this to us. The city, state, Everybody, EPA, they did this to us. They allowed this to happen. They put more into the cover-up than into protecting us. They continue to lie and downplay it. And again, the tens of millions of dollars they've spent fighting us in court, of course, from our own tax dollars, could have been used to help replace interior plumbing. It could have been used to get educational support for these kids. We have a months-long list of kids that want to get tested, that need to get tested and evaluated at the Neurodevelopmental Center of Excellence to look for, you know, autism which is now on the rise quite a bit, to look for these learning delays, to look for these behavioral issues that are caused by the contaminated water. And we don't have enough support systems here. We don't, and you would think that we would with this being such an ongoing eight year long national international, you know, disaster. But yet here we sit, you know, everybody hemming and hawing and they don't want to spend money on Flint because as I was told to my face, but a speaker of the house, if we fund Flint, if we fix Flint, we're going to have to fix every poison city out there.
1: Right. Of course. How awful would that be? Yeah. Terrible. Okay. So people who are listening, they want to contribute to Flint rising. How do they do that?
5: Uh, right through our website, just FlintRising.com, all one word, and it's going to go towards keeping us going and being able to hire more and more Flint residents um, to one help get them health coverage, and two to get them to knock on the door so we can continue to help support our neighbors because right now everybody's tired, everybody's sick. I mean, COVID hit us so hard. We had a twelve and a half percent case fatality rate right here for the longest time because you have a hundred thousand immunocompromised people here, and we've lost like um, Tony Palladino who you got to meet. We lost him this oh, year from COVID. No. We've lost. A lot of good people through the years and it's been hard because our loudest voices are getting literally silenced in naira's case and then we have people passing and then we have people like me that spend more time at the doctor than anything else and just trying to keep our keep this vehicle moving but we're not going to give up and we're not going to stop because as they roll out this infrastructure plan across the united states um we need to make sure it's done right and not done the way that it's done in Flint. Cause they keep bragging, well, Flint's fixed. So let's follow this example uh, one. No, we're not. Two, they're cutting corners and endangering people. And three, they're not doing it right. Like we, when Rashida Tlaib came to Flint, we you know, introduced her to the union plumbers because the work's not even done by licensed plumbers here. And so it's done badly. We're not even getting a proper uh, half fix. So we want to make sure the rest of the cities don't have the right, same thing right. as we do.
1: All right. So everybody heard that, please. I know there's not much you're sitting across the country, but you can contribute to this group uh, that I support Flint Donate to them. And you know what I'll do is here, I will match, you know, what people are giving with up to a hundred percent of the underwriter money for this episode of the, of rumble today.
5: Thank you. Thank you so much. No, no,
1: no. Ooh, it's the least I can do. Trust me. I have such anger I also have like a survivor's guilt. I got out. I got out in time, you know? So this didn't happen to me in my life. Yeah, and and it's 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 so crushing to me to see friends, families, neighbors uh all the the all the union uh, friends, everybody that has had to suffer like this and is still suffering and that the Michigan Supreme Court this week did this to you. It's easy for me to say don't give up. I won't give up. I know a lot of people after listening to us right now, they're going to go, I, I thought this was all fixed. No, it's not fixed. And the criminal governor and his staff right now, they think they're going to get away with it. Not on my watch. That's how I feel. So Melissa and they are, I, I, I God bless you. I love you. I, I, um, my heart aches for you. I didn't know about Tony. I'm I just, uh, man. Um, I, <sighs>
5: Yeah. It's it's been a lot, but at the end of the day, it's it's a train wreck for everybody and the best thing we can do is just stand together because we want to make sure this doesn't happen to you or anybody else because the way it's going right now, they're going to cut corners and rich people are going to get richer off of all this through bad water and they're going to leave us with whatever. So we can't. We have to stand together across the US and say no. This is not good enough. You do this right and you do it the way that we want you to, which is the most protective way because we all matter. All of us matter. That's right. That's right.
1: Um, thank you for this, and thank you for joining me and letting people know that there's other things going on right now. Not that these big things, what the Supreme Court has done, aren't aren't important. They're critically important. But, but we can't let the other things that are happening be ignored. And 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 the and the, the people that benefit from these awful things are gleeful right now that that there's not in the news. It's being swept under the rug, and I I refuse to do that. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast and why i continue to do it so thank you for participating in this and um i will i will talk to you soon and um uh you know i, I should be back in flint sometime this uh coming month or so so maybe we can get together and and uh knock heads and figure out uh what, what our next steps absolutely. are absolutely
5: thank you always thank you thank
6: you so much
1: no thank you thank you and uh and say hi to everybody for me we will thanks peace Wow. Um, okay. I had to take a little break there. Uh, thanks for understanding. Uh, so it's a very, um, this whole thing is very personal to me and, and it, uh, and I don't think the rest of the country and the world really, when they hear Flint now and they think about the so-called water crisis, it's far, far worse than anything that I think people can imagine. Don't want to imagine it. And, um, Um, I'm so grateful to those who are still in fighting the good fight and, and, um, much love and appreciation. And there you have it. Three stories that just simply have not been covered in the way they should be covered because, because we have had to deal with so much overwhelmed by so much going on here in the last few weeks and months. And, um, I'm going to do one of these episodes every now and then, though, just to just to bring you up to date on things that you may have missed. I miss them. I mean, I it's just they're just it's it's um, it's an important thing that we must do. We must not let these things be forgotten. So, my thanks to everybody uh, who was able to talk to me here in the evening of the beginning of the holiday weekend. It's very very much appreciated by by me. And uh, I want to thank uh, my producer and editor, Angela Vargos, uh, who has put together this whole thing uh, today uh, for us here on Rumble. And to all of you for listening and to those who have covered these stories and will continue to cover the forgotten and overshadowed stories. I thank you for doing that. I encourage you to do it. And I'll do my best to pay attention to it also. So that's it, my friends. Enjoy this holiday weekend. Be safe. And I will talk to you here very, very soon. Take care.
0: Another day another day just another